Well, do you, does anybody here today know somebody that just can't get along? I mean, they just can't seem to agree. You've got people in your life that are fighting. Um, maybe, maybe not necessarily with you. That, that's not the target today. The, the target today isn't necessarily your disagreements with some people, but people that you know that are in disagreement, and you're kind of like that third party. You're, you're, you're like the one that like you're, it's, it's your friends are fighting with each other, but you're both, they're both your friends. That you've got family members, maybe, that, maybe they're fine with you. They're not fighting with you, but they're fighting with each other. And it's like, ah, they're driving you nuts. And uh, they know that you're a Christian, and they come to you, and uh, they say, hey, can you pray for, for us? I can't seem to get along with my sister, or I can't seem to get along with, with my coworker, or there's tension between me and my boss, or there, there are these kind of things. And, but you're the person that's, that's kind of the objective observer, the objective listener, the one they're coming to kind of for advice. Um, well, Paul, as he starts to close out the book of Philippians, he's starting to write in this way where at the end of most of his letters, he gives some personal advice. He gives some constructive things um, that he wants them to do um, as he starts to wind down his letter. Um, next week, we'll look at how he ends his letter very personably, um, but this one, he's kind of giving them some instructions, some practical things that he has heard of that is going on in their church, and so today, what he's going to do is he's going to give them some advice on how to help two ladies in their church that aren't getting along, and um, you, you haven't been around, the, you, you, if you've been around the church very much at all, typically churches, they, they, they have things that, uh, that happen, and people don't get along. There's something going on. In fact, a lot of people, um, when they tell me, oh, pastor, I'm looking for a new church, and when I start to ask why, it's because they got in a fight with somebody at their last one. <laughs> and they just, well, I'm out. They just, I'm going to go to a new church because we got in a fight with this one, and, or maybe they got in a fight with the pastor or didn't get along with somebody. There's some kind of relational thing kind of happened. Well, today I want to draw our attention, first of all, to this passage, but I want to start with this quote that I thought was, was pretty cool. It is this, being a peacemaker is part of being surrendered to God, for God brings peace. Amen? We just celebrated that over Christmas. We abandon the effort to get our needs met through the destruction of our enemies. Oh, that is so important today. So important today. That when people come to you and seek your advice and seek your help on helping them get along, I, I, I would invite you to embrace this quote and say the one thing that you are not going to do is start bad-mouthing the other person. So if, if someone comes and says, I just can't get along with my boss, and they start complaining, and then you join in the complaining... You ever do that? It's mostly like this. Like, oh, I can't believe my boss cutting my hours. I know he's such a jerk, isn't he? Well, I can't believe that he actually making me do this. I know that's not fair. That's not even in your job description. They should pay you more. If that. And you see how this thing just kind of snowballs and just kind of keeps going, and you're not bringing peace. You're actually building their anxiety. You think you're being a friend because you're kind of on their side. And no, you're not creating peace. You're creating anxiety and furthering the division. And this is so helpful. So, this morning, as you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 this morning, and we're going to focus in on this one overall thought. Help those in conflict experience God's peace. That's what I want you to be able to do. 
That's what I want our church to be able to do. As people come here and their lives are in turmoil, as people come here and their, their, their marriages are a wreck and they're, they're, they're not, their children aren't getting along and there's, there's chaos, I, I want people to be able to come here and find this sense of peace in their life with God and to be able to slow down for a moment, to be able to take a big deep breath, to be able to worship God, to be able to get into his word, to be able to receive fellowship from people and to get a minute, right? <laughs> and just to be able to slow down and say, okay. And then as we minister to each other, can we help each other find peace with the people that we disagree with? I really hope that we can do that. Let's start, first of all, with this first observation from verses 1 through 4 that Paul helps us understand that we are to stand firm in the Lord, that standing firm in the Lord includes helping those in disagreement. Notice what he says in verses 1 through 4. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, in the Lord my beloved. So that's what he says in verse 1. Now, when he makes this, actually, let's continue the thought and then we'll go back. Verse 2, I entreat Eurodia and I entreat Syntach to agree in the Lord. Uh-oh, two ladies fighting. Two ladies fighting in the church. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these are two church leaders, two church ministers. They've been working side by side with Paul the Apostle. They worked side by side with Clement. They were probably part of the leadership team. But now amongst this leadership team leading this church in Philippi, these two ladies are not getting along. These two ladies are fighting. And Paul writing to the church, and he tells them, therefore. Well, what, what is the there, therefore? He's giving them a principle. He's already, actually, he's already giving them a principle. And he says, based on what I've already told you, we have to stand firm in that and help these ladies dis, who, who are in disagreement. Well, what's he talking about? What's the foundation that he's already provided? Well, it was in what we call the last chapter, these verses, chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, said this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul the Apostle is saying, hey, I need you to stand firm in the idea that we have a Savior who's coming back a Savior who is going to restore all things, and that last part of verse 21, and to Him all things are subject to Him. He goes, therefore, stand, back to verse 1, therefore stand firm. Oh, And it's based on this reality that they're supposed to come to these ladies and tell these ladies, hey, you're not getting along, and we need to help make some peace here. And so Paul says, based on the idea that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is here and all things are subject to him, you guys got to get on the same page. And in any relationship, 
specifically in the church because that's the context of the passage that we're talking about people that love Jesus, people in the church, um, Christians that have worked together, served together, and are now not getting along. What we need to realize is that first and foremost, both of us need to surrender to the will of God. Surrender to the will of God. And a lot of times what I've experienced as far as helping people that are in disagreement, especially Christians, is that one of them or or both of them have gotten out of sorts in regard to who's really in charge. That we've started taking things on ourselves and demanding our own way. We've taken a selfish perspective. We've taken an us first perspective. And we're expecting that other person to surrender to our needs and then we'll get along just fine. And as long as you're doing what I want you to do, as long as you're surrendering to my will, as long as you're meeting my needs, as long as you're making me happy, we're on the same page. But until you agree with me, we're not having peace. Until you say that I'm right, yes sir, yes ma'am, I was wrong, you're right, I apologize. Until you say that, we're not getting along. Whenever you are in that position where that's your stance and you're demanding that of the people in your life, what you're forgetting is Jesus is in charge. And it's not about your desires or your wills or your demands or your criteria. It is about the demands and the criteria of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when a husband and wife are in disagreement, each of them need to return to the Scriptures and say, what is required of me? And what is required of me as a husband? And God demands that of me no matter what my wife does. If Susan goes off the deep end (laughs) and goes all unbiblical on us, that does not relieve me of my duty to be a godly husband according to the commands of Scripture because first and foremost, I'm a husband out of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a father according to the Scriptures as of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you treat people based upon the fact that you are surrendered to the Lord Jesus. So whatever hat you are wearing, parent, grandparent, friend, sibling, coworker, boss, neighbor, You are to be that and fulfill that role according to the demands of Scripture regardless of how you're being treated and regardless of how other people see you. Your and my attitudes and actions are not up for debate. They're not up for our own discretion. We must follow the commands of Jesus because He will return and subject all things to Himself. That includes us. So always in conflict resolution, I try to separate each other, stop this whole nonsense of I'm doing this because she did this, and well, then I did this, and you've got all this big tangled mess, and it's just all, all destroyed. You call a big time out, you sit down with one and say, are you following the biblical commands as a Christian? Are you doing everything in this relationship required of you of Scripture? I have never come to a couple that has been in disagreement where, where one of them is exactly perfect. And one of them is going, yes, I'm, I, I am following exactly what happened. I am following exactly what the Scriptures tell me to do. It's all him. It's all her. Usually they're contributing equally to the chaos. Thus, they're on the crazy cycle. And if we are going to be peacemakers, we have to first and foremost decide that here in our church, Regardless of how the world behaves, regardless of how we're treated, regardless of what people think, we will get our nose in the book and we will say, I will behave accordingly. That's it. We need to settle that first and foremost. And so, he teaches them and gives them this foundation. Now, just a couple of ideas that I want to distinguish between a peacemaker and a a peacekeeper. Two very different things. Jesus commands us um, to be peacemakers in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And the NIV reads this way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They'll call you a Christian. 
You run around making peace. You run around taking people in chaos and helping them get along. And people go, oh, look at that, a, a Christian. Wow. Is that why people think you're a Christian? Because you bring peace? You walk into your workplace with all the madness and the chaos and people, it's kind of peaceful when you're around. You, you kind of add to the joy and the peace around here. Thank you. Or do you add to the chaos? Do you add to the complaining? Do, the add, do you add to the whining? Do you add to the bitterness? Do you add to the, to the negativity? See, Jesus says, man, don't, don't walk into your workplace. If you, if you walk into your workplace and you're just adding to the negative, they're, gonna, they're not going to know you're a Christian. They're going to know it all. If you bring peace, though. And then James helps us understand the same idea in his epistle. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, he says, hey, maybe you're not growing spiritually because you're, you're, you're not contributing to the peace. Maybe you're stalled out spiritually and your level of being in right standing with God is stalled because you, you are so negative and so divisive it's so demanding. Wow. These are crazy passages of Scripture, isn't it? So what does Paul do with this? If, if he's telling his church, he's like, hey, there's these two ladies who are amazing. They're, they're, they're godly women. They love Jesus. They've been working side by side. They're dedicated, hardworking, but yet they're not getting along. And he says, hey, we're supposed to be peacemakers. Jesus said it. James said it. And so how do we do it? Good question. I'm glad you asked. So then he starts to help us in verses 4 through or yes, through four through nine, we learn this, that helping those in disagreement is helping them experience the peace of God. Wow. Such as you're supposed to be bringing. The peace of God. The peace of God. You're going to help them experience that. What a, what a wonderful goal. When someone comes to you and says, you're a Christian, can you help me? And your goal and your prayer becomes, I, God, please help them experience the peace that comes from knowing you. What an amazing goal. What about someone that you're in disagreement with and they're, 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 they're opposed to you? They think differently than you, behave differently, you have different values. Can you start to pray for them? Maybe they're in your oikos. You totally disagree with them, but they're in your oikos, they're in your life. God has so placed them there. Maybe a prayer Lord, help me to bring your peace into their life. Not asking that they agree with me. Not asking that they change their opinions. I'm simply saying, in whatever way you deem possible, God, would you help me help them experience your peace? Whoa. What amazing. What an amazing prayer that at the end of our service, if we would pray according to that way in just a few moments. He says to them, rejoice always, in verse 4, rejoice always, again I say rejoice. It starts there. Very simple, doesn't it? So when someone comes to you and it's chaos and it's a mess, let's start by rejoicing. Thank God that that just happened. What was that? It stopped, so we're good. So, thank God that they came to you, first of all, right? Yeah. That someone in a mess actually asked you for help. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that you have answers. Thank you that they've asked for prayer. Thank you that perhaps they'll come and sit with me and I can read them the scriptures to you. Thank you that there's good answers to be had. We can start by being thankful. 
It's amazing how thanks, thank, thankfulness starts to change your mindset and your opinion of things. So he said there's always cause for rejoicing. Well, two reasons in case you're thinking to yourself, well, no, there's not always cause for um, rejoicing. There's just not. Let me give you a couple, just two, to help you out. The first one, we can always rejoice because Jesus' grace is sufficient. So whatever's taking place, His grace, and let me remind you, I do this every time we read the Word, grace is His empowerment in your life even though you don't deserve it. He's going to work in your life. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you sustenance. He's going to make a way. He's going to make it possible. He's going to resource you. You don't deserve it, but He's doing it anyway. And so there's always reason to rejoice because no matter how much I've messed it up, He's going to empower me to fix it. Okay? So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, but he said to me, this is in the context of prayer, I forgot to tell you this, this is in the context of prayer when Paul is dealing with something that he calls a messenger of Satan, that three times he prayed that God would take it away, God has says no, no I'm not taking that away, that messenger of Satan is going to remain in your life, it's going to torment you for the rest of your life, I'm not taking it away, but he says to him, my grace, verse 9, is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. So he says, Paul, I'm not taking that away. Sometimes God's answer to your prayers, Lord, take this away. Take this temptation away. Take this habit away. Take this pain away. Take this issue away. Take this person away. God says, nope, it's staying right there. Take this physical illness away. Nope, it's staying there. So much of Christianity has been told that whatever you come and whatever you pray, that surely if there's a negative issue in your life, surely that's not from God. Surely he wants to take that away. However, when you read your Bible in detail, sometimes there's things in your life that you don't want, that you hate, that you despise. They're actually from the devil himself. And God says, I'm not removing that, but I'm going to give you power and grace to deal with it. Whoa. See, we don't like that. At least I don't. I would rather everything that comes my way and the negative God will take away. But he doesn't. He gives me power to deal with it. Gives you power to deal with it. So hang on, Christian. There's some things in this world, there's some things in your life that God has no intent on removing. It's part of humbling you and shaping you. It's showing you how limited you really are. And then he's gonna tell you, but I will give you power and grace so that you can stand underneath it. And Paul, when he learns that, he says this, therefore I will boast, I will brag all the more about my weakness. Paul will stand up and say, I am weak. I am broken. I can't get rid of this. There it is. Thank God. He brags about how weak he is so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. So when there's disagreement, Paul would go, you know, man, that person is a real thorn in the flesh. <laughs> man, that person really, uh, I wish they would get fired and not have to work with them every day boy I wish they weren't my neighbors boy I wish 
They, why did they even marry into the family? Just, duh. But Paul says, hey, I'm weak. They insult me. That's okay. They present hardship, hardships. That's okay. They persecute me. That's okay. They create calamities. That's okay. Because Jesus is going to give me the strength to deal with them. And you know, I think that sometimes people have probably received grace to deal with me. I think that there's probably been some times when people have prayed, God, get that guy out of my life. Some of my students, oh Lord, this this teacher every day. Well, none of you because you're still here, right? I don't know, maybe some of you have prayed, please, Lord, get that pastor out of here. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't say, I don't know. Oh, you think that doesn't happen? Indeed it does. Actually, I talked to a Christian today that, yeah, I'm not today, but this week, that, uh, yeah, they would rather get rid of their pastor. But anyway, peacemakers, (laughs) peacemakers. And also another issue out of Matthew chapter 6 that we can rejoice always since he offers forgiveness and calls us to do the same. So forgiveness is available. Grace is available. Forgiveness is available. He says in Matthew chapter 6, it's part of our prayer, the Lord's prayer. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So people come to you, I know they do, and they say to you, Man, I just can't seem to get along. Forgive them. Well, I don't, they don't deserve it. Well, has God forgiven you? Well, yeah. Do you realize that if you don't forgive that person who's being a jerk to you, that God's not forgiving you? Well, uh, but, uh, no. Forgiveness is mandated. It's part of bringing the peace of God. So he gives us these two reasons, that in whatever the situation, whatever the chaos, whatever the disagreement, there is grace to deal with it, even though God doesn't remove it, and there's a a demand and a requirement and the availability of forgiveness both for us and from us. So there's always a reason to rejoice. So after we bring in that aspect and we say to those that are in disagreement, let's find something to be thankful for. Let's let's start there. What, What is one thing? That you can do. And when you think about this, if you're ever mad at your kids, you're ever mad at someone in your life, stop, push the pause button and say, wait a minute, before I go off on this issue, what do they do well? What can I do, what, what can I say positive to them right now? Before I offer my criticism, what can I say thank you for? Hmm? Interesting. That would... What do you, how do you think that would go? If in the middle of a disagreement you push the pause button, things are getting heated, this isn't good. You can say, you know what, hold up, time out. We're, we're in disagreement right now, but can I tell you something that I'm really thankful for about you? Can I thank you that you're at least in this relationship enough to deal with this issue and thank you that you're committed and you're here and you're, we're, we're dealing with this? Thank you for that. And the other day when you did this, well, thank you for that. And 10 years ago when you did this, well, thank you for that. And what if you just push the pause 
pause button for a second and started getting all thankful. And then in the spirit and the context of being thankful, now let's go back and look at this. You know what I think that disagreement does? Shrinks. Because you've got one disagreement, but you've named several things that you're thankful for. Because what happens to a disagreement? It seems like everything, doesn't it, at the time? One cross word seems like everything in all ways. That's why when I try to help couples, I say, let's just stay away from never and always. Because that's just an exaggeration that's outside of reality. No one nevers and always. <laughs> and so we have that. And then we move on, and he says to them, then be reasonable because the Lord is near. Looking at verses 5 and 7. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So be reasonable. I think we use a dose of reason in our culture today. And what is exactly does Paul mean by reasonableness? It's a word that means that it's equitable and fair, that it's mild and gentle. So when we sit down and we say, okay, these two ladies in the church are disagreeing, let's first of all, let's be thankful. Let's stand on the foundation that everything's gonna fall under submission to Christ. Let's be thankful that forgiveness and grace is available for this situation. And now let's just be reasonable. Let's be mild. Let's be gentle with each other. Let's try to be equitable. Let's see if we can find, as people would call a win-win, let's see if we can both benefit from the struggle that we're in. Just be reasonable with one another. See, when we decide that Jesus is right here with us, so we can be reasonable because he's going to give us grace and forgiveness, that begins to say, you know what, I'm not going to spin out of control in anxiety. I'm not going to think about all the what-ifs. I'm not going to think about all the worst-case scenarios. But I'm going to pray about everything. And I'm going to put all things in subjection to Christ. I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to let him deal with this and let him deal with that person. It's almost daily that I pray, Lord, that's none of my business. You're going to have to handle that. Can't fix that person. Can't change that. And I don't even know if it needs changing because I'm just a human being. And Father, we'll leave that to you. We'll let you define that. We'll let you determine that. So after we be reasonable, we can, as Paul begins to finish this section up, he says, be in your right mind. So we're going to be reasonable. We're going to be in our right mind. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, finally, brothers... Whatever is true, start there. Whenever I have two people in front of me and they're telling opposite stories, someone's lying. Someone's lying. And I've actually asked, had, I've had people leave my office and decide when they're going to tell the truth, come back and stop wasting my time. <laughs> Pastor, you're so mean. I know. I don't have time to sit with people that are going to lie to me. I don't have time. 
I don't have energy for that. And if you lie to me and I give you advice, my advice is useless. Because I've given you advice based on something that you told me. And if what you tell me is a lie, my advice is useless. And so it's just a waste of time. So he says, focus on whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let's think about those things. So what about if you were sitting, because the context of this is you're the peacemaker, and you sat with someone and you said, you just went through the list. Tell me something true about this. Stop lying to me. Stop lying to yourself. Let's look at the reality of the situation. And then we start to say, what is honorable about what's going on here? Anything? If not, we have a real problem. If there is something honorable, let's bring that to the table too. Whatever is just, let's, let's be fair with one another. Whatever is pure, so if there's selfishness, we're going to get rid of that. If there's pride, we've got to get rid of that. We've got to get rid of all of those things and not operate with people based upon a lack of purity. And lovely and commendable, excellent. We start bring us, go down the list and calm down. <laughs> Next time you are helping someone disagree, I pray that you turn to this passage and are reminded of this list, at least this list. In verse 9, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, in other words, look to the example of the Apostle Paul, practice these things and the peace will be with you. And the peace will be with you. If you would learn to take in truth and then go practice that, the peace of God starts to rest in your relationships, starts to rest on you because you are now in line with the creator and sustainer of all things. You're now doing what he, what he says. And you are going to experience his peace. So this list forms a fundamental framework, doesn't it? That if you, you would have a mindset this way, that as you engage with people, that you're going to accentuate the positive, you're going to bring up what is true and what is pure and what is excellent, what is honorable, that's going to be the content of your speech. It forms a framework for discussion. It forms a framework to deal with specific issues. If you're talking about taking out the trash, we're going to put it in this context here. If you're talking about a political ideology, you're going to put it in that context. If you're talking about a moral standing, put it in that context. If you're talking about a theological perspective of differences, let's put it in that context forms a framework. And so finally, my challenge to you then becomes this. Very plain. Be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. I told you at the beginning we're going to deal with that and we're going to finish with understanding the difference. Notice Matthew chapter 5, again, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. We've talked about that. But what is the difference? I think the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper is found in Proverbs 10.10. Proverbs 10.10 out of the New Living Translation say this way, says this way, people who wink at wrong cause trouble. 
but a bold reproof promotes peace. See the difference? Peacekeeper is, boy, that's a sin. I'm not going to say anything. I don't want him to get mad. I know that my teenager's spinning out of control, but if I say something, man, the chaos and the anger and the door slamming and the I hate you's and the... I know that my spouse keeps doing this thing over and over again and it's really hurting them and it's hurting our children, and it's, but I just got to keep the peace. I'm just not going to say anything. As pastors sit in their studies and prepare sermons... Oh, I know that's true, but if I say that, that's going to create trouble in the church. I want them to feel good when they leave. I don't want to disturb their peace. I don't want them to come to church and feel a little shaken and have to make some changes in their life. So winking at trouble, just, that's eh, all right. That just breeds trouble. But a bold reproof promotes peace. When you lovingly come to somebody in the context that we've been talking about of Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9 and you do it exactly like we've been talking in this chapter as Paul the Apostle gives it to us and you boldly step out in love and you boldly step out in grace and truth and willingness to forgiveness with restoration in mind and you say to your loved ones and you have these two people in in there that that are disagreeing and they've come to you for help and you want to make peace. You don't want to keep it because it's already been lost anywho but you want to make it. You're going to have to stand and correct someone. You're going to have to tell them, listen, the way you're going about this is going to continue to destroy your relationships. Both of you need to repent. Both of you need to seek forgiveness. Both of you need to honor Christ. Both of you need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Both of you need to put the needs of the other above yourself. Both of you need to stop responding in negativity and start to look into the Scriptures and say, what, Lord, is required of me between me and you? And until a husband gets on his knees with his Bible open and says, what is required of me as a husband? I don't care if she burns every meal. I don't care if she hates me. I don't care if she's sarcastic. I don't care what she's doing. Lord, between me and you, I have to respond. I must be obedient to the Scriptures. And when you decide that, when you decide that, you can be a peacemaker. Because God is the God of peace. And our world today is in desperate need of peacemakers because as we try to keep the peace underneath this false facade of peace is a world of trouble and chaos. And then that erupts and explodes and ruins lives and ruins homes because it wasn't properly dealt with in a spirit of thanksgiving, in a spirit of surrender, in a spirit of peace, in a spirit of justice. It was not handled in that way. It just blows up like a volcano. And so in our church, we will not seek to keep peace. We will seek to make peace. Amen? As we enter a time of prayer, I just want to pray for you today that maybe you are in the position where these two women were. And if I were away, as Paul the Apostle was, and I called on you and I said, you need to help people agree, I invite you to pray and ask yourself if you are a peacemaker or a peacekeeper. I would like to ask you to pray and ask the Lord to put his finger on some things that maybe you're doing to contribute to the chaos and perhaps you will enter a season of repentance for that in between you and God. I also ask that during this time of prayer that if you know some people in your life that are in your oikos that you would bring their names 
to the Lord right now. Maybe you have some children that aren't getting along or some grandchildren or some co-workers. You, you've got something, you've got people in your life that you love and you're tired of watching them fight. You're tired of watching them hurt each other. And so you want to be a peacemaker. I want you to begin to pray for those people and to begin to search the Scripture again. Go home this week. Spend some time in Philippians chapter 4 and ask yourself, God, in what way can I contribute to this? Is it simply modeling it? Is it with a bold assertion to one of them or both of them? What is it, Lord, that you would have me to do? Because if you hear this message today and you sit here and you go, man, that's really good biblical advice. That's, real, that's really good stuff. And then you walk out here and don't use it. Well, then our time here has been wasted. Okay? And so let's seek the Lord on how he should have us apply his word to our lives as we are living today. And as we, that time of prayer will consist of receiving communion, that we know that when we come and we receive these, that the Lord works grace in our life. Does he not? It's a means of grace, symbols of grace. And as we focus on his death and resurrection, it's really hard to be petty with people, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard to be negative and mean-spirited. It's really hard to come to receive these elements that represent forgiveness and then be unforgiving, isn't it? Really hard. That's one reason why I think you need to be in church. It's one reason why I think you need to be taking communion because it's really hard to be in rebellion when you're walking up here and you're reminded of Jesus' death on the cross for you. Really hard to stay in that. So let's have a moment when we're receiving communion and I pray the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is poured into your life. Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that uh, grace is uh, available and sufficient. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have given us forgiveness and you have called us to give forgiveness. And in fact, you've, you've mandated that. You've even said, Lord, that if we withhold forgiveness, then you, you, you won't forgive us either. And so, Father, we pray today that as we come and we receive communion and we meditate upon the cross and we meditate upon your death and what it brought for us that it brought peace between us and God and so father that was not in keeping of the peace you you disrupted so much during your three years of ministry because so much was a false peace so much was a peace based on people that were faking it but father you you came and you brought true peace and Lord, I pray that all across this room today and those that are listening on the podcast that, that, Lord, they would get into this passage of Scripture and pull out these very practical steps and begin to make changes in their own lives so that they can be at peace with those in their, in, on their journey with them. And I also pray, Lord, because I know that we've got many wonderful people right in this room that I'm believing give advice to people that there are people in their oikos that they're praying for and serving that sometimes find themselves in disagreement and they go to their Christian friends and they said, will you pray for me? Would you, would you help me with something? And Father, we pray that you would resource your people today, that they would leave here better peacemakers than when they came in, and that, Father, you would do your work of reconciliation through your church in their homes and workplaces and neighborhoods because that's oftentimes, Lord, where you do your best work. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.